and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. And today you will meet in this episode a man uh, who has written a terrific little book. It's called The Dumbest Guy at the Table and clearly he isn't. Uh, his name is David Shane. He is a very, very, very successful businessman over a number of decades and he's now imparting some of that knowledge that, uh, that got him to where he got to in the business world onto the, the rest of us who uh, are making our way in business or are, uh, you know, needing a little refresher course and maybe some of the ways, to, some of the keys to success. The Dumbest Guy at the Table is the name of the book. David Shane, you'll meet him very shortly. But a reminder, of course, about uh, pe- good people to do business with, great people to do business with, and that is CSCG. Uh, they're in the world of finance. They'll help you achieve your financial goals. And whether it is in the uh, area of superannuation, you need some help, or if it's taxation, if it's lending, it's borrowing, whatever it is, they have experts in all those fields to help steer you in the right direction and help you achieve your financial goals. That's what they're there to do. And uh, they're happy to do it and they do it exceptionally well and are a terrific bunch of people. Jump on the website cscg.com.au, have a look around and then of course give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three double nine seven four eight triple three CSCG. But let's get to the man who's written the book, The Dumbest Guy at the Table. Your book is called The Dumbest Guy at the Table and I've got to admit you had me uh, when I looked at it and it said uh, the forward was by Ian Chappell, who's a great hero of mine. Yeah, he's a fantastic guy. And I mean, as you would have seen, I've met Ian in 1966. Yeah. So we go, we go back a long way. And if Ian Chappell says the guy knows his shit, then uh, that's good enough for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, the, the meeting with Ian Chappell, obviously, when he, when he was touring uh, with the Australian team back in, in 1966, and you bowled him out in the backyard. I think that... The, the first and only only wicket I've ever taken. So <laughs> <laughs> not a not a bad one to have anyway. So. Yeah, no, you take that one every time. <laughs> Even though he does say that he was only foxing with you, and you wouldn't have got him. Well, you would have got him on the next tour because he he couldn't hit anything on the next tour of South Africa. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. David, the motivation behind writing the book and and telling people as much, not so much telling them your success story, but sharing the kind of insights that uh, that helped you have the business success that you had. What was the motivation behind behind putting the book together? So, so I'm going to try and make a long story short, uh, Kevin. My wife and I went to a health retreat, and uh, there was activities and lectures in the morning and the afternoon. They said just do absolutely nothing. That was almost to the day, about three years ago. And uh, in the afternoon, they said, just do something that you wouldn't do back at home. So I said, okay, I'll go and write a book, <laughs> and uh, which I did. And then I came back and reality set in. And I thought to myself, who the bloody hell would want to read a book of some has-been who sold a company 21 years ago, considering the, the success of companies like Atlassian and Canva and Afterpay, so I put it in my top drawer, didn't do anything with it uh, until a good friend of mine, John McLean, who unfortunately uh, was involved in a in a in an accident where he became paraplegic, and had written a book called Change about how he adjusted his life from being an able-bodied athlete to a to a, a paraplegic. And uh, John's a very inspirational person. And he gave me his book, and I said, John, I love your book. And I uh, said, I told him about this book that I had written, but had done nothing with. He said, Dave, promise me you're going to speak to the lady who helped him uh, edit and publish his book, and uh, which I did. And uh, 
I then had remembered that a very good friend of mine who worked in our company for 10 years, Dan Jarzen, had always told me, Dave, you should write a book, you should write a book. Dan, unfortunately, succumbed to mental illness and uh, and lost his life in, in 2005. And uh, I dedicated the book to Dan and uh, all the proceeds of the original book went to Black Dog Institute. And really what, it, what I did realize was that in spite of the you know, the time difference between the time I wrote it, the time I sold it, is that while so much has actually changed, you know, every company still has customers, they still have staff, they still have business partners, and I've always really believed how you treat those three constituents is the difference between building a good company, a great company, you know, an irrelevant company, or one that just disappears. And, uh, and, and I really believe that's resonated really well with people who have read the book to date. Yeah, because the simplicity of your message is, is just that, isn't it? It's not, it's not a complicated thing when you, when you boil it down the, the way you've so beautifully boiled it down in the book. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to complicate things when you're the dumbest guy at the table. <laughs> <laughs> Which you clearly aren't. But I, I love the philosophy of surrounding yourself with people who fill in the gaps in your kind of, uh, you know, your world. The, the bit you're not good at, you get someone who is good at it to do it. I always thought that's a, a wonderful philosophy. As long as you're not threatened by them, which you clearly aren't, but a lot of people are, and that's the downfall in that, in that kind of, uh, I guess, structure, isn't it? So, so I think... Kevin, it goes back to the first, you know, you, you spoke about Ian Chappell and uh, Ian sat on our board and as did Bob Dwyer a few years prior to Ian uh, sitting on the board, Bob was the coach of the Wallabies, as, as you may know. Yep. And uh, and I think you know, Ian would not have led as, success, as, as successful a cricket team that he did if he didn't have you know, bowlers who were way better than he was, Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson and... Uh, and batsmen who are probably, you know, the wicket keeper and Rod Marsh and you, know, you can't win doing things on your own. You have to surround yourself with an amazing team of people, whether it's on a you know, on a cricket pitch or whether it's on a rugby field or whether it's in a company. And uh yeah, I, I think if you're threatened by people who are better than you in certain areas, you you, you can never build a successful company. Ego is the most destructive force, no matter whether you're talking about sport or business or whatever. The the, the sport analogy with, with business has been done to death by a lot of people, but it, it, it does actually resonate if you if you use it in the right perspective, doesn't it? I think so, because there is so much similarity between what happens you know, in a company and what happens on a sports field, how you gel as a team, how you trust one another to... Yeah, to fill their particular parts of a you know of a of of, of a company. You know, I'll never forget in nineteen ninety one I remember Bob Dwyer said to his players, this was before the World Cup, he said, just focus on doing your part, playing your part to the best of your ability and he said, I promise if you do that, when you look at the scoreboard at the end of the day, we will be the World Cup champions and uh, and and they were and that's the same in the company. You you have to rely on other people. Yeah, and some of those people may not even work in your company. They may be a courier company if you've committed to to deliver goods within three hours to any customer and you're not doing the delivery yourself. You're relying on the courier company to to you know carry up that task for you. So you have to have that trust and rely on, on other people to, to help you. 
you mentioned to help the, you succeed. Yeah, you mentioned the three pillars, which are staff, customers, and business partners. How did you yep. constantly remind yourself, or was that just in your ethos that 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 were they were the three pillars and they were the three uh, non-negotiables in in the way you you dealt with those people? I think that's a that's a yeah that's a great point, Kevin, because that was our brand. We were you know we didn't own our own IP. We were in some cases one of four distributors for identical products in Australia. And the only way that we could differentiate ourselves were you know, by the people who were selling and supporting our product. So from the day I started, I was a, a sole founder when I started. Um, I always wanted to be renowned as the company that delivered the best, le- you know, the best level of customer service in, in the industry. Uh, as I say in the book, I was lucky enough to have a really, really, I don't know if I want to say good competitor because they were so bad, we didn't even have to be good to win business. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I, you know, if I wanted to just be 1% better than my original competitor, a company called Datamatic, I would have still been a, a lousy company. I, I wanted to be the best in the industry. And when I looked at who was the best, you know, in that era, in the, in the late eighties, it, it was a company called Compact Computers. And I made up my mind that we were going to be better than Compact Computers as a company that delivered exceptional service. So every person who joined that company knew no matter where they worked in the company, that customer service was what we were gonna become famous and renowned for. And uh, and we used to talk about it literally every day. You know, we were giving you know, staff legendary customer service awards to recognize and acknowledge people that had gone above and beyond to support customers. And uh, and that's, I think, what we were famous for. And I realized that you could only deliver exceptional customer service if you had unbelievably happy staff. And we wanted to always make sure that, you know, people loved coming to work, that we paid market-related rates. And uh, and we listened, to, we listened to good ideas. And I always say 99% of the great ideas at Comtech came from people other than me. Yeah. Does it also make you, when you have those pillars and you have those uh, those measures of success, does it also make the measure of success almost not unattainable but constantly moving? Because if you if you measure your success simply by how much money you have in the bank or how much profit you make, then once you get that, that's the end of it. But if you have that measure of success, which is always striving to achieve the best you can for your customers, you're always striving to get that. You never actually reach the end of that piece of string. Well, I think once you think you've reached the end of that piece of string, you can only go one way and that's backwards. Yeah. So you've, co- you've constantly got to look at how you, you know, that's what used to keep me up at like how we could be doing more for our customers, how we could be doing more for our staff. Yeah, because my biggest fear was that, you know, there's, I've, I've never known any CEO to say, you know, we don't give a damn about uh, customer service and, yeah, you know, staff are our number four asset. Everybody says the same thing. But it's, it's actually standing up. You know, my biggest fear is standing up and people saying, what a load of junk. They don't give a damn about customer service. Nobody cares about uh, people in our company. So, you know, I, I, it really did keep me awake. And by the way, I always said it would be easier, easy to achieve if, on the other hand, you didn't have this juggling ball called cash flow and profitability, and that's really <laughs> what makes it challenging. Yeah. That, you know, you, you, you had to be able to deliver exceptional levels of customer and staff satisfaction, but at the same time, you have to make a buck. And, and to be honest, I think the only way you can deliver extremely high levels of staff satisfaction, generally in a, you know, we were a 
a for-profit organization. You have people who work for not-for-profit companies do so for different different purposes. But in a, in a, in a for-profit company, you can only deliver unbelievable staff satisfaction by ensuring that you're a profitable and successful company, which enables you to invest in your people, to invest in your infrastructure like better systems. And you can only do that when, you, when you're running a, 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 a Companies generating cash flow and profit. Yeah. So the warm and fuzzy bit with the staff and 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 treating all them right. There, there has to be a harder edge to that at some stage, doesn't there? There has to be some accountability and and the five KPIs you talk about in the book is where that comes in. I think it comes in in, in that chapter where I speak about the five KPIs, which is yeah, and all five are important. And as I say in the book, in no particular order, it's your at your market standing. You know, your ability to attract customers, staff, and business partners to your company. It's, uh, it's innovative performance. It's making sure that, and that even goes back to what you asked earlier. It's innovative performance. You know, how are you serving your customers better? How are you, you know, what, what are you doing for your staff this year that you didn't do last year? It's what new products, you know, what new features are you, you adding to your, your product set this year? You know, third of all, it's digital transformation. Every organization is looking at, you know, with increased competition, reduced margins, customers demanding better customer service. You have to be digitally transforming your business today to, to, to be able to deliver that, um, those levels of service. You can't keep throwing people at problems. And four and five, which is what any bad accountant, of which I'm, I'm one of them, would tell you that, you have to, you know, you have to make, generate cash and, and, and make profit. And all five are important. And, uh, but I think that your, your one point as well is in terms of staff, when you say it, you know, there's that piece about the four kinds of people that you have in an organization and, yep. uh, you know, where you have your staff performers, you have, I couldn't think of a better term, but your dogs, you know, yeah. your star performers are people who meet their objectives and share the values of an organization. And the dogs are people who don't meet their objectives nor, nor share the values. You know, the tougher types of people to deal with are people who may share the values but don't meet their objectives. And the toughest person is, is that person who, who meets their objectives but doesn't share the values of a company and, and, uh, yeah, a good leader has to make sure that you're constantly evaluating people within the company and making sure that you have as many star performers, people who meet their objectives and share the values as possible and weed out the others. Would uh, would David Shane starting up today be as successful as he was when he started up all those years ago, do you think? Have you thought about that? Uh, look, I... I, I think a key part of my success at Comtech was, you know, my timing for, you know, I was, at, I was at the right place at the right time. I think if I had started, uh, as, I, as I said, I was the second Novell distributor in Australia. And uh, within three months, we became Novell's. Uh, we, we had 70% market share. Novell recognized us by uh, appointing two more distributors about three months later. So it went from one exclusive distributor, which was Datamatic, to ourselves. Uh, and then they appointed two new distributors, a company called Data, uh, uh, PowerTech and Marysell. 
And uh, we still commanded 70% of the market because uh, we did an unbelievably good job of taking care of our customers and uh, with an incredible team of people. I always say the difference between Comtech and PowerTech or Marycell was we had we had Dynamatic as a competitor, they had Comtech as a competitor. Mm. So I think I, what I firmly believe, to go back to your question, is if if I found an opportunity was that was you know that was the right opportunity, and I used the same management style, do I think I'd be as successful? I'm more convinced than ever, having having you know, the benefit of experience on my side and you know, having been involved with many, many companies as a result of being in venture capital today, that I really believe that the culture that we had for our company was way ahead of its time. You know? I want to talk about leadership for a moment. The, the, um, the Jack Welsh principles of leadership, the four E's. Um, yep. They're as applicable uh, when you when you discover them, when he said them uh, as they uh, then as they are now, and are they still pillars that you you see as a good guideline uh, for for people getting becoming founders and becoming innovators now? Absolutely. In fact, I used I used one of those one of those years yesterday. We had a lot of young, uh, I shouldn't say young founders, because founders come from in all shapes and sizes and. Uh, which is what I love about what I do today. You know, we have uh, young founders, old founders, male founders, female founders, founders from big cities and small, you know, um, small towns. And uh, so, um, if you look at what's happened, you know, for a founder nine months ago, I'd say the biggest challenge facing any founder was the ability to attract, engage, and retain staff. You know, in my career, and it's now, unfortunately, you know, being 62, I've been around for a long time. I've never seen this tough to attract uh, attract staff as it is today. And that was, you know, still pretty tough today. It may have eased up a little bit with some of it. But the biggest challenge that a, a, a founder has today is that raising capital nine months ago was unbelievably easy. You know, if you're a half-decent founder with a half-good idea, there was some, so much money in the ecosystem to raise capital that, you, you would you would struggle not to find the money today, as the stock markets collapse, especially for high growth companies, has become much much more challenging. So yeah, I think a founder today has to have the edge to make those tough yes or no decisions. Do I to you know to increase my runway? Do I need to lay off twenty percent of my staff? And that's uh, that's a really really tough decision. And it's a matter of saying, if I don't make that tough decision today, I may end up, you know, there may not be a business for the 80% of the people that should be left in this business. So, you know, you constantly, as a founder, you know, the people we back, you know, through our venture capital fund, our FBC, the people we back, the first thing is that we look at them, do do we believe they have the, the energy to deal with all the challenges that they're going to have as a founder. You know, you, I've just mentioned a couple of the challenges, you know, whether it was how do I attract and engage and retain people with now? How do I, you know, how do I deal with the pandemic? When you did your budget, you didn't bank on saying, you know, probably in March, 2020, there'll be a pandemic. How am okay. I, how am I going to be able, you know, will that person, you know, you talk about Ian Chappell is, is, 
was an exceptional motivator of people. You know, do you have the ability to energize a team of people to be the best they can possibly be? And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. We see business plans every day where you see beautiful PowerPoint presentations, Excel spreadsheets. Do we think that leader will have the ability to execute on that business plan? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's still relevant today. You did something that uh, that often is uh, is not a, a panacea for great success, and that was you brought your, your brothers into the business. Doom, gloom, and boom were the three of you, your, your, your yep. brothers Steve and John and yourself, but obviously a combination that worked because you filled in the gaps for each other. I think we worked really well together because we were doom, gloom, and boom. I think we were if we were all doom, doom, and doom, or all boom, boom, and boom, we wouldn't have been as successful as what we were in business. And, uh, you know, we, you know, I remember I'd call my brother, John, um, on, you know, when I got home and sometimes at eight o'clock and my wife said, but you're with him all day. Why are you calling him now? So we were in the same office, but we didn't say a word to each other. We were, <laughs> we were both doing so many different things. We, we had very, very little overlap. And, uh, and, you know, as I said, it's somewhere in the book. I know that the added value, I think what's really, really important, by the way, in any organization is that you can't afford to have any, build a company where somebody says the only reason Stephen Shane or John Shane are in the business is because they're David's brother. Yeah. They have to earn the respect of, of a team of people. And I think both uh, John and Stephen had enormous respect in the, in the parts of the company that they were involved with. And the fact that they were my brothers became almost irrelevant because people saw them for the value that they brought to the business as opposed to, to being, to being family members. And, uh, you know, I advise anybody that don't bring in a, a, a wife, a, a daughter, a son or whatever, unless they're going to be there and earn the respect of the team and not feel they have to respect some person because they're the boss's son or brother or wife or husband or whatever that in any role, people, you know, you, you don't get respect from a business card. Title on a business card, you get it from, from the value you bring to an organization, from how you treat people, the respect you have for people, from, you know, having a vision and executing on that vision, not not for a title on a business card or for, for your last name. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. One uh, one bit in the book that I, I particularly liked personally was the uh, the 15 All Black Principles. I thought that was a, a lovely addition into the book. I am, I'm looking at a poster that I put on my – literally sits in my office. Uh, I love that. And that was an amazing book, Legacy, and that was also a really a simple book, thin book with, with some unbelievable lessons in that book. And uh, I'm – pleased that I, I was able to add that to the to my book. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Now, you, you mentioned, and I just want to finish on this, to be happy you need three things you need, to, and I want to ask the man who wrote The Dumbest Guy at the Table whether he has these three things. Do you have someone to love? Well, I'm, I'm proud to say I've been married for 37 years and I have three, three fantastic kids from, from the same wife and, yeah, we play bridge together, we travel together, so I think I'm lucky enough that... Um, we got married really young, both of us, and uh, and I think we've been lucky enough that we've worked really, really well as a team to raise our boys and raise our family. And uh, yeah, I don't think I could have done better in that department. And I, I hope my wife would say the same about me. Now, this interview is just about to finish. So, have you got something to do? 
Yes, I, I love what I do. I work in a venture capital fund called um, OIF uh, VC, and I work with a young team. I'm the, I'm the eldest together with my, my one business partner, but most of the team is under 40. We work with founders who are absolutely unbelievably inspiring, and I think we, we really are able to make a difference. And yeah, that's not what I'm going to tell you. I think you spoke to any of our founders, they would tell you that they love working with us and not just because of the check that we, we gave them because of the value we bring to their business. So, yeah. yeah. And you got something to look forward to? Uh, yep. I, uh, I'm always looking forward to a next vacation with the family or with my wife and uh, I do cycling with my friends and you know, look forward to every Sunday morning when we just go and talk a lot of rubbish around the yeah, going. I think we, we, we talk more than we ride these days, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. David, it's been uh, fantastic to catch up with you. Congratulations on your success. Congratulations on the, on this book. It's got some great messages in there. Common sense is, is not that common, but there's a lot of common sense in there, and I think it's a really a really good read for people who are wanting to get into, uh, in, into the business world. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed chatting to you, Kevin. My thanks to David Shane. Great little book. It's called The Dumbest Guy at the Table, and you won't be after you read it, and uh, he certainly uh, isn't. Uh, what a success story. And uh, passing on uh, some really valuable insights and uh, valuable knowledge there. Not terribly complicated. A lot of it is common sense, but uh, well done to David on the book. And thanks once again to our podcast partners uh, for joining with us in uh, bringing you Authorised. And there's a whole stack of uh, previous episodes wherever you found this particular podcast. Go back and you can look at uh, some true crime. You can look at some sports books, some cooking books, uh, some self-help books. They're all there. Uh, Lots of fiction, war books, uh, you name it, history, everything. It's all there. So uh, check it out on your favourite podcast platform. And my thanks to CSCG. That's cscg.com.au. Or give them a call and have a talk. They'll help uh, help you achieve your financial goals. Double nine seven four eight triple three. That's their number. That's this episode of the Authorised Podcast. Read a book and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>